everybody. Welcome to From the Sidelines. My name is Noah Tyree, and I'm here with Chad Davis, Devin Davis, and Josh Duvall. How's it going? How's it going? And today, we're going to talk about some sports. Feel free to follow us on our Instagram and Twitter, at DFTSPod. Don't forget to subscribe to our iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube accounts, and send in questions or comments to us at DFTSPod at gmail.com for our mailbag segment we do every other week. So, guys, what do you all think about the the Liverpool comeback. That was an impressive comeback. Alexander Arnold had the play of the year with the fake corner kick. I loved it. This is a great comeback. They and, uh, they sorry. So, what? I don't give a hoot about soccer. I give a hoot about the Kentucky Derby. So let's get on into the Kentucky Derby. So you think it's called the Kentucky Derby. Is that right? That yeah. is right because it definitely uh, takes place in Kentucky. I think it's called the Stewards Derby to me. Um, yeah, I'm kind of getting tired of officials determining outcomes like this. Like, why can't we do this in other sports? Does this mean the Saints win the NFC if we can just change the outcome of events like this after they end? They should be in the Super Bowl if that's the case. How about Texas Tech? They got screwed over in the national championship game. They should be. They should be champions. And one more example, Kentucky in 2015, the perfect 38-0 record, gone because of a missed shot clock violation call. Aren't that, they they deserve to be undefeated. But no, we have to change the outcomes off of egregious, egregious disqualification call, in my opinion. What happened did not affect the winning horse at all. Uh, that was Country House. So maximum security goes over like two lanes and cuts off uh, War of Will. And Country House, the course that came in second, was not even in that in that entire situation. He was on the outside. So the fact that maximum security got disqualified when it helped out Country House at the same time, I think. It's it's just absurd. Like, it was not that big of a deal. I know, I guess it's technically against the rules, but the Kentucky Derby is one of the most grittiest, fought-out races in the horse racing industry. And when you impact a decision like that, it's, you better make sure it's the right one. And I, in my opinion, I do not think it was the right one. To me, it was just a, it was just a salty... Flavian Pratt, whatever his name is, that was just upset that he lost, and not he wasn't even the horse that got that got cut off. So, yeah, no, I agree. And like the Kentucky Derby is considered to be like two of the greatest minutes in sports. So I like, especially on that stage, like that call. I mean, even when maximum security clearly won and had no impact on um, Country House at all, I feel like that was just a pretty pretty lousy call. I completely agree, but at the same time, I feel like this has brought a lot of light to the Kentucky Derby because this is the most views it's gotten since 1990, to be exact, and uh, usually the Kentucky Derby is already forgotten by this time this week, but because of such a controversial call, I feel like this has brought a lot of light to the best two minutes in sports. I mean, I definitely understand the rule. Um, If you have horses cutting each other off, that's going to lead to a lot of devastating um, collisions and a lot of wrecks, um, and the horses definitely did clip, so I can understand why the stewards made the decision. 
I just don't know that Country House should be rewarded with a victory considering they weren't even impacted. He was nowhere near the situation that happened. And if anything, it benefited him too because the other horses are the ones that got cut off. And let's be real. It's a horse. It doesn't know it's in a race. It doesn't know what lanes are and that they have to stay in them. The jockey of maximum security, uh, he did like everything he could in his power to keep his horse under control after well, something must have spooked him. I don't know if it was the crowd or what, but but is this where we're at in 2019? We can just change the outcomes of of races. In horse to... racing, but unfortunately not in any other sports. I mean, the NFL changed it to where past interference calls were now reviewable. That doesn't help game. them. That doesn't help them now, now does it? It just looks like that's the way we're headed, though. All right. Uh, I'd say that that wraps up the Kentucky Derby. Uh, let's get on to some NBA playoffs now, going into round two. What do you guys think is your favorite game so far? For me, personally, I definitely have to go with that four-overtime game between um, Portland and Denver. Yep, I think that's everybody's uh, favorite game so far. That was that was one of the best games I've ever had the pleasure of watching, to be quite honest. Obviously, Jokic is good, like really good. I feel like he might be a little bit undervalued and underappreciated. Why is no one talking about him in the MVP discussion? Like, I think he deserves at least a shot, and I don't think he's getting enough credit. I'm going to have to disagree on that one. Um, yeah, same. I could probably name four or five players that are more worthy of MVP over Jokic. Although he's great, and he's definitely a very good player and, and an all-star, but I just don't think he's quite to the MVP nope. level. I stand by that. Uh, I, here, here, here. He definitely wasn't dropping 60 a game. Yeah, I'm kind of in between on both of those. I I guess I, uh, we could probably say that he's a MVP candidate for the future. I will say that because this man is absolutely phenomenal in the low block and everything. He has the assets to get to that MVP status. But, but I also will say this. Uh, he could be in the running for playoff MVP if that was a thing. But... Mm-hmm. He played 65 minutes, and he got a triple-double with 33 points, 18 rebounds, and 14 assists. 14 assists for a big man. He's definitely one of the best passing big men I've ever seen in the NBA. That's true. That's he had that, correct. He had that one pass where he split uh, between Aminu's, his legs. Yeah, he went between Aminu's legs. Yeah. I, th- I think you all are just mis- misinterpreting most valuable for best player. Like he's he's pretty valuable to that Nuggets team. Don't give me that look. He is. I think, uh, take Giannis <laughs> off the take Giannis off the Bucks. Take Giannis off the Bucks. What happened to the Bucks? I didn't say take, he could take win it. Harden, I just take said James Harden. Take James Harden off the Rockets. The discussion. That's the what Rockets, I say. Go back and re, 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 listen to it. Clint Capella nope. and Harden single handedly was winning games for at least a good month stretch in the middle of the season. They started eight and fourteen. James Harden nope. turned the season around single-handedly. Mm-hmm. I don't yep, know if there's a player more valuable to a franchise. Just talk to Daryl Morey. I, this is not working. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I think you're just bad at forming your own opinions. James Harden is incredibly inefficient. I'll give you Giannis. But... And speaking of players that have played over 60 minutes, let's bring up C.J. McCollum dropping 41-8-4. Across the board that night, uh, 
I'm going to tell you right now, uh, CJ McCollum is a very underappreciated guard that needs to be spoken of more. This man's consistency throughout the playoffs has been astounding. Would you agree? I would agree throughout the playoffs. Yeah. But as far as the regular season goes, I feel like it took a little bit of a dip from this year compared to last year. He also had to deal with that injury at the end of the season. Yeah. Kind of hurt his complete season, but... I definitely give the uh, Trailblazers credit for sticking with the Lillard-McCollum backcourt. Uh, a lot of people were calling for a trade of at least one of the two. Um, but they've stuck with the process, and it's worked out for them so far this postseason. Well, let's see if it'll work out for them in the long run. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that backcourt. Obviously, they're a really prolific duo. I think they just had a... A series of of unfortunate playoff runs, and now I think they finally figured it out a little bit. And moving on from one Western Conference semifinal to another, we're going to go to Golden State in Houston, probably the most hated Western Conference semifinal in some long time. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts on this? What's your favorite game? Because honestly, I I have about as much interest in this as a Duke and Louisville game. I have a lot of interest in a Duke and Louisville game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see. I want to see which team is, can, can lose the lose the most. I agree. This is this is probably the best series of the playoffs in the semifinals yeah. of the West. Yeah, one guy versus four all stars. He's holding his own. One guy. There's Chris Paul. What? What? His name is James Harden. Sorry, we talked about him. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. I don't, James I don't Harden know if you were here, but we talked about James Harden in the last discussion. Um, you all keep mentioning James Harden, but I feel like the more important uh, players for the Rockets are the likes of Chris Paul and Eric Gordon, uh, Clint Capella, those guys. And Eric Gordon went off in Game 3. They don't win that game without him, and the series is more than likely over if they lose the first game at home. Down 3 0 to the Warriors. Yeah, Eric Gordon, he's been really consistent. And he also got uh, 20 points in game four, and he also had a big impact on that game as well. Absolutely. Even PJ Tucker dropped a double double in game four, going 17 and 10, uh, even though it was in 42 minutes. But I guess efficiency is key here. Uh, personally, I feel like Chris Paul could have done a lot more with his minutes. Uh, dropping 13, 8, and 5 is something we don't expect from the point guard himself. So we're going to need him to step it up here in five and six. I like what P.J. Tucker provides for the Rockets' offense. Uh, they're able to match the Warriors' small ball by putting Tucker at the five when they bring in uh, Shumpert or Rivers uh, into the backcourt. Um, so it definitely complements nicely when Capella is taken off the court and they're able to match uh, Draymond Green at the five. I also like the way P.J. Tucker plays. He, he, you can tell he has a high motor, and he always hustles on just about every single play when he's in the game. Yep, I completely agree. But on the other side of the court, or with the other team, I, I just I want to ask you all a question. Please oh, give me a valuable answer. Uh, what is wrong with Clay Thompson? Because this man is on the coldest of cold streaks. I'll tell you what's wrong with Clay Thompson. When you're a one dependent. One dimensional. You're a one-dimensional pl- I know what I was trying to say. <laughs> when you're a one-dimensional player and your shots aren't falling, you're pretty much useless. I also think it has to do with the fact that Houston has the guys to guard him. When you have 
to put pressure on the clay and stuff and make them move around and not be able to catch the ball and shoot and spot up like they want to. Uh, it puts a real strain onto them. And uh, Clay Thompson, uh, we certainly expect more from you than 11 points and 36 when you can drop 60 and 41. So I don't understand it at all. Yeah, there's really nothing more he can do if the defense is locked down on him like the Rockets have this this series. And speaking of Steph Curry, I just I want to bring something else up. Uh, I feel like Steph Curry has played extremely lazily this these past couple games, man, the shot selections, even though he's dropping 30 and however many points he can average, uh, he's, his shot selections off, uh, his defense is very lackluster to say the best. I see guards like Austin Rivers blow by him at almost every drive. It, it's kind of looking concerning, to be quite honest. Yeah, you can tell he's pretty lazy if you saw that the ridiculous block by the rim in game three. I don't know if that's as much as lazily as it is just lack of lack of lack of hops, <laughs> lack, of, <laughs> lack of vertical. I liked his comments after the game. Also, I just he's, don't know he's, why he. It's a little bit of frustration, but he's feeling himself. <laughs> he's never been known as a dunker. I don't know why on earth he would even attempt that, especially with the clock running down like that. And then they didn't. They didn't foul after he missed. It was just a bizarre sequence of events. Yeah, it looked like they completely gave up after he dunked it. After he tried to dunk, everybody's like, well, that's game. Time to go to the locker room. Like, I don't understand what happened there. I really took, don't. It took a play out of the Spurs book. I guess so. I guess Popovich <laughs> really is influencing the league. It's not like this is the first time Steph Curry's had this happen. You all remember when he slipped on the floor trying to dunk? I don't. I guess he never learned. Yep. <laughs> Maybe he tried dunking because he missed a wide-open layup a couple possessions before that. I have no idea, man. I have no idea. All right, well, with that note, I think it's time to move out to the east with the 76ers and Raptors with Toronto currently up 3-2. to two. What do you all think about that series? Uh, ben Simmons is going to have to learn to shoot. Yeah. And, Ka- and Kawhi Leonard is playing at an MVP caliber level. He's mm-hmm. doing he's doing better than KD LeBron ever have. It's actually impressive the stat line he puts up on a nightly basis. And and not to mention all the shots that he takes that are contested. It's it's like he's just by himself in a practice gym. They don't it just doesn't seem to bother him. Exactly, yeah. And like I just like I like Pascal Siakam as well. He's been doing good this series and he's been Stepping it up, being that second guy to Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard, really helping them get the lead in the series. I completely agree. I feel like on the nights that Pascal is off, like game four, Kawhi steps up for him. Because that night when Pascal's dropping uh, nine, Kawhi drops 39. It's a great one-two combo that they have going for themselves. And if they can't stop it, nobody can. He's averaging 35, 10, 4, 58% shooting. He's been ridiculous this series. When yeah, and when Kawhi and Pascal are on it, like there's no stopping them. Just this past game recently, they won one twenty five to eighty nine and they were both on it and like I just don't see how the seventy sixers can get past that unless they start playing better and Ben Simmons can actually hit a shot. Well, yeah, well until Ben Simmons hits a shot, they're gonna get they're gonna have games like this one where they get outscored in the second quarter thirty seven to seventeen. That's not gonna win you playoff games and it never will. 
And when you have a when you have a point guard like Kyle Lowry that can just play make and distribute the ball, um, doesn't turn the ball over, um, is it really effective at getting Kawhi and Siakam the ball in their spots, right. playing the mismatches? I think uh, that's definitely an underrated key to the Raptors' success. Let's let's slow down there. He had <laughs> yeah. he had a good couple games. Let's pump the brakes on the Kyle Lowry train for a second. Hey, they won when he plays well. I think we have found the key to the Raptors' success. Well, clearly, when your starting point guard plays well, it helps you win games. No kidding. Hey, Ben Simmons plays good. Steph Curry plays good. I haven't seen uh, them winning recently. Not sure the Ben Simmons you're watching is the same. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, with that logic, Patrick McCaw could step up and put up 20 (laughs) points, and he'll be the difference maker. (laughs) And uh, going back to Ben Simmons uh, being one-dimensional, we were talking about Clay Thompson. Ben Simmons is one-dimensional in the opposite uh, gameplay. More of a slasher, athletic type of guy. Can't really shoot. And when you take away the driving lanes, make him play in the half court, uh, he's definitely not as effective as he is uh, in the open floor. All right, and moving out to Boston and Milwaukee. Uh, what do you all think about this series? Personally, I think um, one player in particular has not been stepping up, and his name is Kyrie Irving. Yeah, uh, Kyrie Irving has been a complete no-show this entire series, and it's time for him to pack his bags and leave Boston, go crying home to his daddy LeBron. And his teammates will help him back, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'll drive him to the airport, I'm sure. <laughs> He might. He doesn't have to pay for an Uber. He can just. He can just get his teammates to drive him. Uh, on the other side, though, Giannis. Uh, he's playing like an. He's playing like an MVP, like he has been all year. And after that, you know, after that first game, he popped off. He just wasn't allowing the Celtics to do anything, and he just has been going off ever since. Yeah. Well, I have to apologize to the Bucks, along with Paul Pierce. I'll speak for him as well, uh, for doubting them. Uh, I thought the Celtics were clicking at the right time, thought they had a legitimate shot to win, and Bucks just responded in a very elite manner. Yeah, after the Bucks got punched in the mouth in Game 1, uh, they responded. People like Chad were out here saying the series was over after it was a 1-0 lead for the Celtics. Uh, that was ah. an egregious take, but uh, nonetheless, Giannis responded as uh, any MVP candidate should. And uh, one thing that I really like about the Bucks is Eric Bledsoe and his defense against Kyrie Irving. Because, you know, Kyrie went 8 of 22, then 7 of 22. So that says something about Eric Bledsoe and the defense he's been playing on Kyrie. Yeah, I doubt that Eric Bledsoe was going to be allowed to uh, make a fool out of himself like last year. and Because we know that's probably never going to happen again. And uh, as far as Giannis goes, uh, this man is MVP or I riot. This man's athletic ability and what he can do for Milwaukee is zero to none. That's the only reason I even put him in the MVP above Harden is because Harden had the expectations to do what he's done outside of the historic scoring. But Giannis, nobody expected this team to even be into anywhere near the discussion of even going to the finals. Like, Yeah, I like Giannis as my MVP pick as well. Second, I guess, would be Harden. And then third, uh, Jokic. What? Who's Paul George? <laughs> I've never heard of Paul George. Do you know who? what team he plays for? Is... I don't know. Yeah, Did he no, break I his leg? He... I think he broke his leg. No, and I think he plays. I don't think he's been back. Out. He's been out for like four years, right? 
I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big Jokic fan. Just just deal with it. You're also a big Thunder fan, and you seem to forget about Paul George. Yeah, but eh. <laughs> is that that's our that's our rationale these days. <laughs> All right. Well, my argument's been fixed. I'm on chat side now. <laughs> yeah. There yeah, we go. Here. I, I do have to say that the MVP of this series, really, in particular, is Pat Connaughton. Don't you all agree? I love the man. Uh, I'm going to take a quote out of Chad's book. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> MVP, MVP for being bad, you mean? He's been a difference maker he's, off the bench. I, yeah. He's been solid off the bench. He had a plus minus of 22 in game four. Um, he's been solid off the bench, I think, for a yeah, decent amount of playing time. And he also had that really nice play where he got that block out of the three-point line, got the ball, and went up for a dunk. Yep. That was pretty nice. Yep, that was the spark they were needing, too, because that was a close game before that. And they kind of went off on a little run after that. So uh, I, I just had to shout out my man Pat right there. Um. Yeah. Can I block that shout out anyway? Uh, I don't think so. That's uh, it's gonna be a no from me. <laughs> you mean like how uh, the rim blocked Steph Curry? Oh, yeah. exactly like that. <laughs> you need to stop before Under Armour bans our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on to a little baseball, just enough to get your fix. Uh, we're going to talk about the call-up for Nick Senzel, uh, the new Cincinnati Reds outfielder. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, that's definitely great for the Reds. You know, he was the number two overall pick back in 2016, and recently he just became uh, the first batter in Reds history with three home runs over his first four career games. If that says anything about the Reds' future, I think it's looking pretty good. He should have had an extra home run. He got one robbed in his first career home run. Oh, yeah, he got robbed right. right at the wall. He's had a, a power surge in his major league debut. Well, there, it was kind of a little bit of a sketchy situation because uh, he was supposed to debut last year, but he had a season-ending finger surgery to prevent that. But the uh, he's a former number five prospect across the entire MLB. So he's definitely hitting it off to a great start. Yeah, look, this this Nick Zenzel guy, I love it when these these uh, minor league prospects come up and make an immediate impact as soon as they get called up, and trash players like Scott Shebler get DFA'd. It it warms my heart to see that. If only if only Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could make an impact. That that's his, that's that's <laughs> the point. Yes, the guy everybody was excited for, but nonetheless. As, has not lived up to his hype, needless to say. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna transition into probably my favorite young pitching prospect uh, that just debuted this season. Uh, after making a storm through spring training, uh, Chris Paddock has definitely caught some eyes at the beginning of this season. Um, he nearly pitched a complete game, but the Padres are trying to limit his pitch count and his innings due to the fact that he's such a young new pitcher um so his pitch count is about 90 so despite the fact that he was dealing um against the Mets they still had to pull him which I was sad to see he couldn't go the distance but when you pitch seven two-thirds and still end up with 11 strikeouts over 91 pitches 
you're you're going to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. I completely agree. This man, uh, this is probably my pick for rookie of the year uh, in all aspects. And uh, simply because uh, it's been more than a century since a rookie starter finished with the sub two ERA. And if he can keep it up at that pace and keep below the sub two, uh, he has this rookie of the year down pat because the other rookie of the years that were pitchers only went to a sub two fifty within the last century. So it's it's something he has to work on to get this. And leave it to the Miami Marlins to trade Chris Paddock to the Padres for Fernando Rodney. Uh, we love the Marlins trading away every single good prospect. Christian Yelich, you name it. They probably had him. They probably traded him away. Yeah, I think that definitely worked out in the Padres' favor with Paddock. Uh, he ended up outdueling Jacob deGrom, which is insane, and that definitely says a lot for the Padres' future of pitching. Yep, Absolutely. My sleeper pick for the NL West, looking pretty nice. And one thing that I must point out is that the Red Sox finally learned how to play baseball. They, well, of uh, course the Red Sox fan brings that up. Well, yeah, it's kind of a big deal considering the way they started the season. Uh, you can't win baseball games when you're playing Fortnite all the time. Uh, their pitchers have also learned how to throw a baseball. That's also good. And going back to what I said about Nick Senzel, I like it when rookies come in and make an impact, and Michael Chavis has done that exact... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, I just got a uh, notification on my phone from ESPN. Mike Fires throws second career no-hitter against the Reds, throwing six strikeouts, two walks on 131 pitches. It is the 13th no-hitter in franchise history and the 300th no-hitter in MLB history. What? Yikes. Yikes. Mike Fires is not good. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh. I started to say, when you are Mike Fires and you're throwing no hitters, how bad do you have to be at hitting the ball? Hey, does, anyone, does anyone want to take a guess at his ERA before the start? Oh, please, somebody tell me. Please. please. please I'll, give you, I'll give you over under let's, six and a half. Let, let's, all, let's all make a guess, all right? All right. I'm going to go with nine. Nine? Josh? Eight. I'm, I'm going to go seven, five. Six eight one. So you guys overshot a little bit, but okay. yikes! How do you get no hit from a dude that can't even throw it? That's uh. well, when you're the Reds, that's why. I would yes. say that just shows how bad the Reds are. The Great American Struggle. Oh boy, he has Weird. a whip of one point four nine. Oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day where I get a notification on my phone saying that an athletics pitcher just had a no-hitter. That's a good point. Their starting rotation is atrocious. Well, the Reds are just even more atrocious. And the, Reds, so. the Reds were on fire, too. They had huge leads against the Giants all weekend. Yeah, they even did. Derek, they even Derek Dietrich was hitting home runs. They hit back to back to back. Kyle Farmer was oh. hitting the ball. Like, what? So terrible players are actually hitting, and then you get no hit by Mike Fires. Yep. Go from scoring double digits in a game to scoring no digits. Welcome to Cincinnati, folks. Stay well, classic. they they did blow that one lead against the Giants when they started out with four runs. Yeah, but at least they had, like, a lead. Yeah. Like, they, they probably should have swept that series, honestly. Yeah. So have you guys thought about buying tickets for a sporting event or a concert? I have. I yes, have. Really? Looking really? at going to a Reds game this summer. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you the perfect way to get those tickets. Oh, Seat. how would I do that? Oh, SeatGeek. Yeah, SeatGeek, please. Yeah. yeah, we're all geeks for seats. Do you and, have, uh, have to be a nerd? Do I have to have... Uh, no, no, no. my no. qualifications? Tell, tell no, us how it works, no. Josh. Let me tell you. All you got to do is download the SeatGeek app. Go on there. Look for the seat that you want, and it'll rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, being good or bad. And then you can so buy I your want, ticket that so easily. I want a 10. I want a 10. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, there's lots of 10s out there, and they're they're pretty good, and SeatGeek is the best ticket app out there, and let me tell you what, guess what? 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 Use our code FTSPOD to get $20 off your first purchase. Oh, 20 whole dollars? 20 That's entire dollars off your first purchase <laughs> if you use FTSPOD. What a bargain! Let's go. Mm-hmm. So make sure you download SeatGeek ASAP and use our code. And that wraps up another episode of the From the Sidelines podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on your device and give us a five-star review. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on our social media platforms, we are at the FTS pod. And if you have a question for our mailbag segment, please email us at the FTS pod at gmail.com. Bye, have a great time. Bye, have a great time.